welcome to Women's Cricket Chat. I'm Hannah. And I'm Alexandra, Alex for short. Coming up on today's podcast, this person needs no introduction whatsoever. We've got one of England's 2017 Women's World Cup winners and one half of the dynamic duo from the No Balls podcast, Alex Hartley. Here Alex talks about her journey through cricket so far and what our hopes are for the future. So yeah, thank you so much for joining us. No problem. So other Alex, shall I call you Alexandra for today? I'm fine with whichever. I'll Just... respond to either. <laughs> if I call you Alexandra and then we call Alex Alex. Okay. That works, yeah? That works with me. I'm quite chill. Shall we get cracking on this interview? So our interviews are very just kind of Q&A. Very boring compared to your podcast, obviously. So Alexandra also made a comment on our Sue Redfern interview saying, oh yeah, Alex and Kate seem quite crazy, aren't they? And I was like, Alex, that sounded so kind of sassy. It was very kind of, I don't know. Alexandra, you're going to have to explain yourself. It was just like an off-the-cuff comment, like crazy as in they're mad. They're just like these characters that you wouldn't expect professional England cricketers to act that way, which is quite a nice contrast. I always say that half, more than half of that team are really beige. So it's quite nice for like us to be ourselves. I mean, Alexandra dug her, herself out the hole there massively then. So that was a really good effort. You've done well. So we'll start with the proper Q&A now. So just taking back to 2017, obviously nominal year for women's cricket all around and for yourself, personal performances and of course being a World Cup winner. What was that year like? And tell us about that final. It, it was a crazy, crazy year. So obviously I only made my debut in 2016 and it wasn't didn't go the best. So when I got picked for the World Cup, it, I was very much in the frame of mind that um, I wouldn't play. Um, I just thought I was going to be part of the squad and it was an amazing opportunity. I'm playing with all these phenomenal cricketers and I'm genuinely just a fangirl. Like I love cricket and I, I was a net bowler for years for England. So to be in a World Cup squad, it was just brilliant. Um, then I played and I played every single game and I couldn't believe it. And it was just such a roller coaster, so many highs, so many lows. And then obviously that World Cup final, it was literally the best day of my life. To say that I don't really remember it because, not because of the after party, but just just the sheer everything that was going on, you know, the crowd, the, the event, it sort of like all blurred into one. And I, d- I don't really remember all that much. And it was only recently I watched the World Cup final back and didn't even realise India were that close. Didn't think they were on top as much as they were. So it was a roller coaster and genuinely the best the best day of my life. I'm going to show you this photo. I was going to share a screen, but it's too technical. So if you can see that. Yeah. Talk us through that photo. What does that photo mean to you and the feelings that you get from it reflecting on it now? Yeah, it, get, it gets me quite emotional. I've actually got it printed out and it's up on my wall just behind there it's the moment we won and we're waiting to get our medals and I was fine laughing loving life and I looked up to the balcony and my mum and dad were there and I just burst into tears and it was it was sort of like all this sheer relief of hard work I was proud I was just just emotional it it was just one of those where you're just so so happy you just couldn't hold back the tears you talked about playing in the iconic world cup what was it like to play the final on home soil and win and do you think that having won the world cup 
on home soil do you think that kind of spurred the men's team on to win oh nice nice question um it was what people dream of as a kid you know playing cricket at lords something that i'd never done before something that a lot of people will never experience so i'm extremely lucky to have experienced that um yeah it was phenomenal and and there was a lot of hype around the men you know they, they were following in our footsteps for the first time ever as well you know the girls have won at home at lords now it's your time it's your turn so yeah there was probably a bit of they were thinking oh that how amazing would that be if we did follow the girls um you know they probably didn't think about it on the day but it was definitely would have been brought up in in conversation so for the world cup period you guys switched off of social media what kind of impact did you think that had on the team culture did you actually fully withdraw from it or did you still sneakily like have a look at the comments that were getting made and the fan reaction yeah um it was one of those we trialed it out in dubai in the pre-season and we decided to have a week off but it was just one of those situations where we wanted to be in our own little bubble we were ahead of the times and then we wanted to just concentrate on ourselves we didn't care how meg lanning was getting on how susie bates was getting on i didn't care how anyone else was bowling we just wanted to focus on ourselves and get ourselves into a role and just really concentrate on being a team and focusing on each other and each other's success it worked it was brilliant um a few of the girls come off social media now when they play in tournaments because there's a lot of distraction and there's arguments for and against it because if you're in a mid-tournament you can promote yourself and your team and you can try and get a bit of hype and following through social media but equally there are trolls and if things have gone well you can get too high and if things have not gone well you can definitely get too low and when you talk about comments what do these kind of comments look like do you still receive many negative ones do you get many positive ones as well um i sort of bring a lot of my social media attention on myself um you know like slating the indians when they're losing against england i'm obviously gonna get a lot of a lot of stick for it but you can you know i got i got an, um, a barrel of abuse when i got stefani taylor out in the ksl because apparently my celebration was too over the top and she's better than i am at cricket but you know, I'm passionate. I love what I do. And it wasn't the best year. And it was probably the only wicket I got that season. So, <laughs> you know, it was one of those where it's just really hard to try and go one way or the other. I really like it, but I've muted it. So you sort of say, well, what's the point of having it if it's muted? Just touching on social media, Hannah and I had a look through your Twitter and there was that tweet. It was a well-summed up tweet to someone who said, who even cares about women's cricket? Why do you think that women's cricket doesn't have the same respect as the men? Do you know what? It, it infuriates me because there is no reason why women's cricket is worse than men's cricket. It's completely different. We don't compare women working in an office to men working in office so why do we compare women's cricket to men's cricket it's it's not the same it's different yes it's lower scoring yes we don't necessarily hit as many boundaries or haven't in the past but we're growing we're getting better um so i just anytime somebody comments on women's cricket i just nail them because there are people that care we've proven it you know ninety thousand people in melbourne last year thirty thousand people watching the world cup final we've had millions and millions of people tuning in you can just go and watch women's cricket in india and there's thirty thousand people there watching so people do care and it's the minority that don't care but unfortunately they're the idiots that comment on social media completely agree because like i've used that office analogy too kind of thing because it's like your employees you get paid to do a job you're doing the same job it's just different kind of context and everything and you really wouldn't call somebody out in the workplace so why just because it's in a sporting sense you still get that but i know you were at loughborough for a bit 
So I'm still there doing a PhD at the moment. And part of my research, I looked at the 2017 World Cup, looked at the news coverage, looked at the comments that were made. Even when England win the World Cup, you still get abuse. You still get comments and it still get back to the kitchen. And it's still, like you say, women's cricket is less entertaining. How does that affect you? You know what? I'm, I'm quite a fiery character. And I remember seeing after we won the World Cup, there was a, a news article. Someone had written in the news something about women winning the World Cup doesn't mean anything. And I just put the bell emoji and then the end emoji because I was like you need to show up I know the exact article you're talking about I think it was Dominic Lawson and it was about women's cricket it's like watching a dog on hind legs I used that as my dissertation title because I was like this is absolute like BS how on earth can you write an article like this the day after you've won the World Cup yeah and I saw that article because it's the first time I got on Twitter and I actively looked for people giving us shit because I'm sorry looked for giving us abuse because I was like do you know what like we've just done something pretty phenomenal and it's something that probably will never Never ever happen again in my lifetime. You know, England. I'll, I'm never going to play it worlds again. Am I? Let's be honest. You know, might not happen. Um, and then I remember sending that tweet, and then there was pure panic on the ECB. The CEO was ringing the media manager saying, why has Alex Hartley done this tweet? And then Claire Connor's on the phone and Henry's on the phone. And Claire was like, no, hang on a minute. She's done the right thing there, calling him out because that article is out of order. So I think it does take, you know, someone like me or um, Alyssa Healy's really good for it. You know, just pointing out these trolls and telling them to, to do one. Do you think players do have more of a responsibility or is it more of an organisation that has more of a responsibility? I think over the last 12 months, organisation have been better at covering women's cricket and I know the ECB are making a real conscious effort now to cover the women's content as well as the men's content and trying to get that content as even as they can I think that helps you know the more organizations put women's cricket out there and as much as they can it obviously then it's seen more so it becomes more normal um I think the issue over the last 10 years is, is women's cricket's not necessarily been the norm with Ireland having separate twitter accounts for their men's and women's team do you think that's going to encourage more people to follow the women's game and to get to know the players more or do you think that it's going to have the opposite effect yeah I think there's an argument for both sides I think if people who want to follow the women's game will follow it but you're not going to broaden your horizons if you're not plugging the women's game through other aspects of social media I know there was talk in the ECB of like thinking about having a women's content page well my thing is if you're going to have a women's content page make a new men's one so then the women have the whole following that they've got on that and you'll you might lose 50% of your following but you'll still have 500,000 followers if you make a new men's one everyone will follow it it's fine it doesn't matter that will build that will grow um so yeah it's I think having joint account works but then the Australian women they don't have a joint account they've got separate ones and look at Australia cricket you know women's cricket they're flying the flag yeah maybe it's a time thing as well because I know with Australia they did it back in I think 2015-16 prior to the 2017 World Cup and perhaps if England did it at that point it would be really powerful and maybe now the ship has sailed and it is more powerful like you say to have it in one place and just improve that kind of content but I think it's also to do with the opportunity to play because do you think England at the moment and the domestic side of the game too do you think there's enough playing opportunities for women? Um, Probably hasn't been over the last five years I know you think of my England career was only four years long and I didn't necessarily play that much cricket but it's getting better and they're playing more and more they had three series booked in last summer and just you know coronavirus hit and they couldn't play them all so I know this this summer they're out in New Zealand now and then they've potentially got three series this summer teams coming over and then they go back out for the Ashes and then it's the they go back to New Zealand for the World Cup and then they got the Commonwealth so it's growing it is getting better and there are enough series it's just now getting the smaller countries involved and trying to get your 
Sri Lankas and your Pakistans up and running and playing as much as everybody else. You've also spoken about your characters. Nobody can deny your character is phenomenal for the amount of setbacks that you've had. So can you tell us a little bit about your story through cricket and how you've been able to bounce back and develop that resilience? Yeah, I wouldn't wish my, um, gosh, so-called cricketing story on anybody because it's be, it has been a roller coaster and there's been so many ups and downs. Um, but that's made me who I am today. You know, I'm, I'm strong, I'm resilient, um, if I do say so myself. Um, but yeah, it started out as a young girl and played football as well as cricket. And my mum said, right, well, I'm not buying you any cricket kit. You have to earn it. So then I had to take a wicket, hit a four, hit a six, take a catch to get my pads, gloves, helmet, bat. And I think that made me fight for what I wanted because I could have quite easily have gone, oh, you know what, that's hard work. I don't want to do that. But that really made me go, right, I'm going to prove you wrong. Um, and then getting onto a boys' academy, it was again, you're the only girl. I've got to prove you wrong. Um, getting picked for England Academy, being dropped again, I've got to prove you wrong. And I just feel like my whole career, I've had to prove people wrong. And you know what? It, it's it's quite sad because I, ha- I do have to work hard. I'm not the most naturally talented, but I love cricket and I love working hard. Um, and I think that's probably the reason why I ended up playing for England. And you mentioned that you were dropped by the England Academy. How did you deal with that and how did it make you feel? Yeah, you sort of, that that feeling of being dropped from the England Academy is nothing to what I thought I would ever experience, like I've experienced since. Um, so at the time, I was gutted. Um, I remember going to the fish and chip shop and hitting my car on the curb and burst into tears. And my boyfriend at the time was like, what the hell's wrong with you? I was like, I've been dropped from the Academy, like life is over. And you sort of have that, maybe one or two days of feeling really sorry for yourself and then parents sit you down and say well well, what do you want do you want to work hard do you not want to work hard because you're clearly not working hard enough to be in that environment and my parents have never ever pushed me into anything they've always said you can stop when you want we'll support you whatever you choose to do um so it it it's sort of a realisation that you're either not working hard enough or you're not good enough. It's, it's one or the other. Um, and for me, it's that I wasn't working hard enough. So I decided to change where I was playing my club cricket and change where I was playing my county cricket to, to sort of change everyone's perspective of me so that I could start again, work really hard. Um, you know, I was always this left arm spinner that couldn't bat and couldn't field. That was what I was known for. So I tried to change that by going down to Middlesex got that rep again in the end but when I first got there nobody knew who I was you know I'd never played for England I was just a left arm spinner that was trying to get better. You also mentioned that you played football when you were younger and I think I read somewhere that you played for Blackburn and was it Bolton as well? Burnley. Burnley one of the one of the B teams um so was football a serious career option for you or was cricket always what you wanted to do? Um football wasn't a career option well neither were a career option because I didn't realize it was even possible for it, that to be an option um but I was always better at football and I really really enjoyed football it was sort of a go around kick around with your mate um but it got to the point where my brother's not sporty and every single weekend of the year he was watching me play football watching me play cricket so my mum said right this is not fair on your brother you have to pick one or the other because I think we got the fixture list through for Burnley because they're like congratulations you've been picked and my mum was like oh my god it's every single weekend like this cannot happen so it was pick one or the other and I, I couldn't tell you what it was why I picked cricket but maybe it was that aspect of, of wanting to challenge myself and wanting to get better and um, so yeah just I, I sacked off football and, and if I played football now you wouldn't believe that I actually used to play because I'm crap I can totally relate to that but I think my mum was a bit harsher and she just told my brother tough luck <laughs> so 
I think that's why me and my brother have only recently just started to get on. But tell us about your family relationships and stuff. Because obviously, like you mentioned, it's so important to get that support. So just tell us about how important it is to have supportive parents in the world of sport. Yeah, there's there's nothing I hate more than pushy parents. Honestly, if, if any parent is pushing their kid to do anything, it's just going to drive their, their child away. You know, my parents never, ever forced me to do anything. Yes, they encouraged me to try all sports. You know, I did gymnastics, swimming, football, cricket, because they wanted me to find my own way and, and find what I loved in life. Um, they, they never, ever forced me to go to cricket training. I remember one time I said, mum, I don't want to go. She said, oh, well, do you think I want to drive you there? So absolutely not. If you don't want to go, we're not going. And that really, that's stuck with me and I remember that because it was a Monday night after school and I was like oh this is my choice like this I either want to do it or I don't and I never ever skipped another training session after that because I almost felt like what my mum said resonated with me and I was like oh you're right and I think having a strong family network is really important especially when you're trying to make your way into professional uh, sport because it's not easy it's it's really tough people think oh you've got the best life ever but you know there's there's so many highs and lows and it, it it's a it's very hard to stay level um so yeah it's really important to have to have the support from your family and then quickly just want to go back onto a point as well because obviously you said that there wasn't kind of the professional cricket setup to look up to and to see a natural career in cricket so who did you take inspiration from as a younger person and did you get to see much women's cricket growing up I didn't even know women's cricket was a thing you know I started watching cricket watched the 2005 Ashes um and then from there on in started following cricket played boys cricket so I didn't even know girls played cricket um there was another lady Jen Barden Jen Laycock that plays for Lanks um she she played at the same club that I did um but yeah Monty Panesar was always the the guy that I grew up watching um which a few people hate me for these days because he's not really a nice bloke but you know he, he bowled fantastic left arm spin and, and his action was just you know just beautiful so I loved watching him I had a, a Monty Panesar England shirt for Christmas once and it was one of the best presents I ever got <laughs> I've seen he's been posting a lot on um, LinkedIn looking for media opportunities so I'm sure you can sort him out. I'll get him on the podcast. Oh that'll be brilliant. If you can come on yours first because we normally just steal your guests so. You touched on as well the movement from Lancashire to Middlesex so tell us a little bit about that season. Was that the thing that kind of kick-fired your career again and did that give you hope for that 2017 kind of build-up? Yeah it sort of um, it didn't necessarily kickstart my career straight away. It was as I said it was a fresh start and I had to travel down you know I was driving two and a half three hours every weekend just to go and play cricket um and train um I played club cricket down there as well you know they were incredibly supportive you know Beth Morgan Danny Warren let me stay at their place um Tash Miles um, got to stay at her place and I had the, just the most incredible time down there and, and sort of learned that you could work hard and enjoy it at the same time. Um, so that's what that showed me. And then the support from the staff at Middlesex really did help and I wouldn't have played for England if it wasn't for Middlesex. Obviously, you are a Northern proud Red Rose girl. Did you find it sort of a culture shock coming down south? Because when I went away to university up in Leeds, I know it was very different. Like the way of life was completely different to the way I'd grown up. So I would probably say I'd lived a sheltered life until university. So it was really nice 
to see a different part of the country and to see how things were completely different to the way I grew up. I think people, when I went down to Middlesex, were like, who on earth is this chick? She's very outspoken, speaks her mind, doesn't care what anyone thinks of her. Um, but yeah, I tried to live in London and lasted three months and rang my mum saying, can you come pick me up? It just <laughs> wasn't for me. I love that you are like unapologetically you, though, because I think especially as a woman within cricket and within the media industry too, it can be quite hard. So tell us about that transition as well, because obviously you were at the World Cup last year presenting TMS stuff. So tell us about what it's like to be a woman in the media industry too. Do you know what? I'm probably extremely lucky, but I haven't had any bad comments yet. Um, which I have not done that much work you know I've, I've only worked on men's cricket a little bit I've done quite a lot of women's cricket and obviously people that listen to women's cricket are going to support past players and want them to do well so but I absolutely love it. it it's something I really want to get into it's something that is the next chapter of my life I feel um, and I want to do the best job that I can do I don't want to be one of these people that people turn on the radio or the tv and go oh she's just got the job because she used to play and she's rubbish I want to be there because I deserve that opportunity because I'm good enough so I've been working really hard to try and be myself but also have the cricket knowledge so that people don't just think I have the job because you know they're kind of seeing if I'm all right I want I want to be really good as well and is there any commentators that you look up to at all and that you want to kind of emulate when you do get the chance to do commentary um there's not anyone I would necessarily say I want to be like because I think I'm different I'm I'm a character in my own you know I'm a strong northern girl who loves to have fun and loves to have a bit of banter and love an innuendo so I think I just want to be myself but equally um the likes of Isha you know she has been fantastic Ebony both of them have made this fantastic career in the media and it was only today in a meeting that somebody asked me asked me what my aspirations were and I said in a, in, a, in a dream world I know it might not happen but I would be the next Isha I can see that happening for sure a hundred percent and this is going to be an ex- exclusive now we're going to be like heard it here first but no what was the first time of presenting like how did you just go out there and in front of obviously like millions in front of a camera like how do you deal with that pressure yeah so the first time I went on the radio was years and years ago um Isha actually couldn't couldn't do the the um, commentary on a Lanx game because there was a family emergency and she said Alex do you want to do it um I said Bloody hell, yeah yeah so I was on with that was the first time I met Henry Moran and Butler hit a six and he said Alex what was that and I just I nodded and he said Alex you're on the radio you've got to speak I was like oh oh my god I'm so flustered I'm so overwhelmed um so that was a massive learning curve that you need to talk on the radio <laughs> But um, the first time I was on the telly was actually this summer and I was watching it back going, I can tell that's the first time I've been on the telly because I looked so nervous and I was standing there and I was like, oh God, I'm on the telly. I remember standing there and I was going, I'm on BBC Sport, I'm on BBC Sport, everyone's going to be watching, everyone's going to think I'm rubbish, what if I'm rubbish, what if I don't look nice, what if my hair's wrong? And there's all these things going through your head, but then you just have to remember you're chatting to your mates. You know, I was with Danny Hazel, Michael Vaughan, Ishiguro, people that I've spent time with and people that want you to succeed as well so as soon as I got all those stupid thoughts out of my head and just talked cricket that was when I became comfortable again. Do you find it easier to converse with people you know so that then it's less pressure because I find it hard to believe that someone like you would struggle to speak on the radio? Yeah it's, it's always easier with someone you know you know I've built that relationship now with Henry Moran where we'll just talk all day every day about anything and anything Um, whether we're commentating on cricket and we're not talking about cricket we're talking about what we're going to do 
in the evening or whatever it's always easier with someone you know but I'm, I'm one of those people that finds it quite easy to build a relationship with somebody so I started working with Kevin Howells last year and within two or three games like we've built this relationship we have a bit of banter so I think if you yourself and you just relax I know it's easier said than done like when you're interviewing someone you can get quite nervous and you, you sit there and you get flustered and you don't know what to do um because I still do that now but you just you know you, you're doing a job and nobody's gonna nobody's gonna care if you stutter or you know you say something wrong everybody's learning as they go and everybody wants you to, to succeed I am definitely learning right now <laughs> like this is so outside of my comfort zone honestly um but I'm really enjoying it and it is helping me kind of communicate better because although I'm like stumbling across now like beforehand I was constantly I could never string a sentence together but I'm gonna stitch Alex up here now because she messaged me earlier I can see the eye roll and she was like is Alex's um boyfriend Henry Moran and I was like no (laughs) no so Henry is my commentating boyfriend let's call him that (laughs) um my partner actually works in the ECB in the digital side of things so he does like the Twitter and social media probably why it's a bit more equal these days because you know he wants women to succeed because I'm a cricketer but no Henry Moran is not my boyfriend um I don't even know what to say (laughs) Thanks for stitching me up, Hannah. We do look like a couple on that tweet I did as well, to be fair. Yeah, that's why I got confused because of the language in the tweet. So it made me stop and question it. But then I didn't expect Hannah to expose me like that. I mean, I've just been fangirling the podcast, like behind women's cricket chat, because I don't think I can do that on my personal one. I don't want to look too like keen. Like I try to play it a little bit cool, but cringe on my personal one because I'm very cringy, obviously. But like quite <laughs> cool. Whereas like on the women's cricket chat, I'm like, get me the gifts out, get me like just how good is is it tweeting off your podcast twitter because you can do what you want and say what you want thinking about coaches now so your relationship with mark robinson has been an interesting one but i heard recently you're back working with him is that correct no so robo gave me obviously my first england um opportunity but no he's i've not spoken to him really i lost my job was it 18 months ago now um and he, we kept in touch just to see how we were like mentally but no i've not worked with him um worked with chris Bembo. he was he's the one that's been the massive influence on my career just somebody that we've built i've built a relationship with he understands me um but i've recently started working with stephen parry um the ex-lancashire player and he's changed my game like i i genuinely don't think i've ever bowled better in my whole life so it's one of those where they keep bigging me up and i'm like no no, no, I'm just playing for fun. Like, I, this is, I don't want any pressure. I don't want pressure of people saying I could play for England again because I don't want the disappointment if it doesn't happen. And equally, I don't know if I want to. So, but yeah, I think having a coach that you understands you and you can build a relationship is really important. And I guess this is a good time as well to reflect on Northwest Thunder. So, obviously, you're captain for that, right? Yeah, I was last year. So, I don't know what's going to happen next year uh, if Crossy's going to take that off me or I think, I think we'll share it. So, when Crossy's not with England, she'll do it. And then when she's not, I'll do it. I know you had a better success rate, perhaps, compared to the KSL days. Yeah, we did. We've we've got a real set group of girls who are brilliant. You know, we're really, really young. We've got 15, 16 year olds in our team. Like we're a bunch of kids and Jesus Christ, they make me feel old sometimes because I want to go out for a beer and their mum's picking them up from a cricket game. So (laughs) you think, oh God, but the sort of team that I want us to be is because I've experienced the highs and lows of cricket and and it can consume your brain and it can become too much. I want people not to care where we're playing, who we're playing against. If we're at Old Trafford or we're at Edgebaston or we're at some club ground around the corner, I want us to enjoy it. That is all I care about. I want us to obviously work hard and I want us to practice hard. But at the end of the day, everybody started playing cricket 
because they enjoy it and because they like doing what they're doing. And I think it's so easy to forget about that when you become professional or you get into competition because so we have to win, we have to win. Like what happens if I bowl a wide? I don't care if you bowl a wide. I don't care if you go for 10. I want you to still love the game of cricket as much as you did from when we started and when we finished the game. And do you think with what you've gone through in your cricketing career, do you think that's influenced your style of captaincy in any way? Yeah, honestly, 100%, because I never thought I would play cricket again. Genuinely didn't think I'd play again. When I lost my England contract, you know, my world came tumbling down. It was something that I just just didn't think would, not that I didn't think would happen, but I'm still so young in my cricket career. I just didn't think I was ready to lose my contract. And, you know, I, I wasn't getting out of bed. I had my World Cup shirt covered with a bed sheet because I couldn't bear to look at it on the wall. Um, but then I had a cricket session with Chris Bembo and he just reminded me that, you know, I love it. That That is why I play ultimately because you can have a laugh with your friends. You get to travel the world with your friends. You get to go for weekends away and get paid for it and play cricket and have a few pints and a pizza and you know it's it's genuinely one of the the best and the worst things I've ever done you know um the worst obviously me losing that enjoyment for probably 18 months of the back end of my England career I I didn't enjoy it um but I'll never have that mindset again and I, I don't want the younger girls or the girls that are aspiring to play cricket for England Ellie Frelkel, Georgie Boyce, Emma Lamb they want to play for England and I don't want them to be so focused on that that they forget about the enjoyment side because it's so important and I guess the structures weren't there when you lost your contract at the time so how important are these new structures obviously with five contracted players hopefully that will be more in the future but what options does that give to younger girls today yeah it's it's you know it's brilliant you know people can come out of school big up Sophie Eccleston the first person ever to leave school and become a professional cricketer in the women's game like that is massive you know she's incredibly talented and she's the world's best for a reason but now it's there's so many more opportunities for younger girls you know I'll retire in 10 years, let's just say, because I'll be old then. But somebody else will be coming out of school and can have my job. You know, there's options for girls. And and in the next 10 years, I would like to think that all 15 of us will be professional. And it's a a genuine career option. And and I hope that the girls who aren't contracted but still play for us look up to the contracted girls and say, that's where I want to be and and I want to work that hard to get there. You touched on how it affected you being dropped from England and how difficult it was. With organisations such as the PCA and the Lord's Taverners, how important do you think these organisations are? Yeah, they're incredibly important. Um, When I lost my England contract, there was a guy at the PCA called Tom Jones who constantly messaging me, like you guys can probably tell, but I put on a bit of a front and everyone was asking me if I'm okay. Yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, I'm fine leave me alone I'm fine um I'm a bubbly character and it, it takes a lot to bring me down um but he was brilliant you know part of the PCA he he knew I was going through a tough time and and he he badgered me he was ringing me are you okay do you want to chat no I'm fine I'm fine um but yeah I think without them there'd be a lot a lot of cricketers struggling not just through loss of contracts but there's there's other things like gambling addiction drug addiction um they help you transition from cricket to the outside world they they put people through university you know 
the options that the PCA do, there's, there's just so many. And, and it's brilliant to have have a charity like that, you know, behind you. Obviously, that support is essential. And now the regional players can access that support too. So back in the day, it used to be you had to go to Loughborough to get into the England kind of setup. So is it really refreshing that perhaps we might be able to see players from more diverse backgrounds perhaps as well? Yeah, I mean, for, for me to play for England, I, I even went to Loughborough and that, that was only 2016 that I made my debut. Um, so Loughborough MCCU was the way forward and, and the only way forward if you wanted to play cricket for England. Yes, there's been a few, you know, Freya Davis went to Exeter and played cricket for England, but she put her cricket career on hold to finish university. So, so the you know, Loughborough was the way forward and, and having all these teams and all these regional teams, it it's gonna it's gonna bring through more more cricketers because why wouldn't it and then just going back as well onto your northwest funder team who are the players to keep an eye out out on who do you think is going to be kind of pushing for those england places over the next five years or so and um, we've got a young girl called libby heap um she is brilliant and there's there's a lot of hype around her i mean her parents bloody hype her up more than anyone i've ever known you know but she is brilliant she's a brilliant cricketer and, and works really hard um we have olivia thomas a leg spinner who would be in my starting 11 every single day I think she is fantastic she's one of the only leg spinners in the country that doesn't play for England that can consistently land a ball so yeah she's good but they're both really young pups you know they're 16 17 um Emma Lamb I don't think her England career is over I think she's worked really hard this winter and and fingers crossed she scores us plenty of runs I think you know she has the capability of playing for England and do you think Ellie Farrell-Keld will be pushing Jonesy soon or what do you think in that wicketkeeper space? Because there's not many people at the moment who's really maybe are getting an opportunity to push. I think Ellie is one of the best keepers in the country. Um, the only thing that let her down, why she didn't necessarily stay on the England Academy or, or make away was her batting because, you know, she bats at seven. But she's worked on it. She 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 could bat wherever she wants in our Lancashire 11 because well, she can't bat 11, that's my spot. Um, but... <laughs> She's she's brilliant. You know, one to five, she could be wherever she wants. She's she's worked really, really hard. She's a fantastic keeper. And and like you said, England haven't necessarily got anyone but Amy. Yes, Tammy and Lauren do wicket keep, but Ellie is a better wicket keeper than both of those. Um so if Amy ever got injured, I, I don't see why Ellie couldn't fill the role. But thinking about the KSL now as well, so with Kia Super League at the time back in 2016, so at that time you're making your England debut and everything, and also the Kia Super League was given that first taste of what professional cricket in the domestic space kind of felt like. So what was it like for you playing at that time? And who did you take inspiration from? Because obviously it's the first time you really got to play with proper overseas players and big names. Yeah, you know what? When the KSL first started, I made my England debut and I genuinely didn't think I'd ever play cricket for England again. So the me playing in the KSL, it was sort of, I was sharing a, a bed with Tammy Beaumont. You know, that's how far behind the times where we were sharing hotel rooms to save a bit of money for something else. Um, and I was sort of not distracted from the cricket with the stuff that was going off off field, but I was so frustrated with things that were going on off the field that it distracted me from the cricket and I just remember all these overseas coming over and thinking this is really good you know we've got you know Barbie Aussies um who always said it wasn't worth their time because that's their time off and they didn't get paid well enough to come over which is fair because it there wasn't that much money in it but Harlan Preet Kaur, Mandana, Lizelle Lee we had all these players coming over and, and bowl at them outside international cricket I think was something really special and the game it's where English cricket needed to move forward. And did you feel a sense of pressure playing in the Kia Super League after making your England debut? 
Um, I didn't. I didn't. To be completely honest, I didn't. I, I just at that point, so the first two years of the KSL, it, I was sort of a frame of mind that I'm just gonna enjoy it. Um, and I, it, it sounds stupid, but I never really knew how good I was. Um, and I was just playing cricket because I enjoyed it, and I was leading wicket taker in the first couple of years, and got a place in the England squad and and then that's when things changed and I thought oh my god I'm the world's best I need to be the world's best and that's when my career sort of started going downhill so I wish I could just take little naive Alex and just carry around everywhere so that you know she doesn't sort of get ahead of herself again. Definitely think that's an Alex thing because I do that as well (laughs) just like when you said earlier that you're a fiery character I have been known to be described as fiery it's more like if you're gonna say something stupid I'm gonna put you in your place. So we wanted to do a podcast all about you, but of course we do have to recognise Kate as well. So tell us about your friendship and of course Noble's The Cricket Podcast. Yeah, we've we've got a special friendship, me and Crossy. Um, a lot of people don't know this, but we we fell out when I moved down to Middlesex because she didn't understand the reasons why I left Lanks and she didn't she thought I went about leaving the wrong way. But actually there was just somebody that got caught in the middle who told everyone before I got a chance to tell people I was leaving. Um when I made my England debut, I actually took her place in the team and we weren't friends. Um, and she texted me the night before saying, good luck, like enjoy it at the moment, like just because she felt like she had to. You know, she didn't actually want me to do well because I had a spot. Um, and I was work like chugging along, doing fitness testing and I failed fitness testing. And Crossy texted me saying, join my gym. And I was like, all right. So I joined the gym and then she was like, shit, didn't actually think she'd actually join the gym. So I kept seeing her in the gym um, and Crossy wasn't in a great place at the time mentally. Um, she was struggling with her mental health. And I think we started hanging out together, but she was forced to hang out with me, really, let's be honest, because the, the staff at the ECB said, can you help Alex with her running sessions because she doesn't work hard enough? Um, so we started spending time together and running together on a, on a Monday and, and going to fitness classes and stuff. And I think we just, we built this special bond and we actually decided last week, I don't know if you heard it on our podcast, that we've decided we're soulmates. <laughs> Because we speak to each other every single day. You know, I I genuinely want the best for her. Um, If it was between me and her to play cricket for England for the next four years, I would pick her. You know, I want the best for her. She's she's an amazing human and she's been through so much. And the, the friendship we've built is just something else. You know, people often ask if we're together. And no, we're not together. Um, we just we just have a, a, a special, special friendship. And when I was in a really bad place last winter, a couple of people joked saying you should start a podcast. Um, so we did it. She, she said, well, let's do it because you're not getting out of bed in the morning. And I want there to be something that you're getting out of bed for. So we just started doing the podcast and... We were actually going to call it full tossers, um, but the ECB said, you do know you can't call it that because do you know what tossers means? So that quickly got canned. So no balls came to the front and that's why we called no balls and it took off. You know, we, we made this podcast called No Balls and the first week we had 40 people listen and we thought we were, we were mint. We were like, yes, we got 40 people listening to our podcast. It's the best thing ever. And and now we're getting 2,000 people listen weekly and, and it, it, it is mad how it's taken off. But yeah, thanks to Crossy, we've, we've got this little podcast. So tell us about the Virat Kohli story and perhaps what hashtag IPL might have started across the KSL teams too. Yeah, so we went to India in 2018 and I went over there with 6,000 Twitter followers and there was a poster of Virat Kohli saying the IPL starts in one week time, one week's time. Um, and we started watching it, the IPL. And, and honestly, I didn't even finish watching any cricket games because they just go on for hours and hours. And I thought, God, this is a lot of crap. Um, 
But I just tweeted a picture of me stood next to this poster going, hashtag RCB, I'm going to follow the RCB. And I left India with 35,000 Twitter followers. So it sort of snowballed. Um, and we took the we took the mick out of it, you know. We used it to our full advantage because, you know, we want to build our own profiles and having loads of Twitter followers does that naturally. Um, so we we she decided she was gonna follow CSK because of MS Stoney. She says it's because of Mark Wood, but she it's because of MS Stoney and she he's got loads of followers. Um and then we did the same again the year after. And then I tweeted Sachin Tandulka and he replied and I couldn't believe that he replied. He like quote tweeted my tweet saying, thanks Alex for the happy birthday. And I was like, oh my God. But now I genuinely follow RCB and I really want them to win. And I, I yes, my tweets, I, I do them to gain followers and I do them because when 25,000 people like my tweets, I can't, can't get my head around it. I think what on earth is going on? Um, but yeah, I genuinely follow them and they sent me a shirt this year and it, it actually made my day. I thought it was really cool. Um, so yeah, it started out as a bit of a joke of both of us, but but now we, we do both genuinely follow them. And are you a little bit gutted you couldn't get them on No Balls podcast? What, Veronica Coley? Yeah. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Uh, he's too busy being a parent at the minute. Um, so we, I think I th- we're going to start with the Indian girls and then see if we can uh, get one of the Indian lads on. Heard Ashwin uh, DM Sophie saying he liked a ball in action, so maybe we'll get him on. <laughs> Honestly, I think Virat is going to happen. I mean, even if he just does a little voice note for us saying, Virat here, you're listening to No Balls, it would make my day. I can um, totally relate to the whole tweet thing about Sachin Tendulkar because I think in about 2013, 2012, 2013, so it's just mad how social media works. It is. It's quite sad, really, isn't it? Because you you hashtag IPL and you get tens of thousands of followers. And it's actually makes me laugh because there's I tweet about it all the time. But Matt Parkinson, who plays for England, tried to get on the old IPL hype this year and he hashtag IPL every every week. But he was doing it wrong and he didn't gain any followers. So I said, you've got to follow a team. You've got to follow a person. Um and make sure it's a really famous one. And there's also a serious point in that as well, because I kind of feel yourself and Kate are kind of carrying the England women's team and cricket within the England women's kind of space. By your profiles, because of you two being so visible, it encourages others to get involved. Obviously, we had that young girl the other day whose name I've completely forgotten, but on our Twitter, who I think you sent a message to. Yeah, we did. We we sent a message and, and that's what we want. You know, we, we want to encourage girls to play cricket and, and we're probably the two that are most active on social media. And I think the more we speak about cricket and we encourage girls to play, obviously, the better. Um, so, yeah, we we're out there because our job is to I know it's cliche, but is to inspire the next generation of people to play cricket. Just yeah, just being able to speak to people like that, I guess, is so powerful, but I guess not all athletes are accessible whereas social media does allow that and especially yourself and Kate being in the limelight and getting your stories out there showing cricket as something that is fun like taking the mick out of yourselves and just showing that professional identity doesn't have to mean boring and beige like you touched on earlier yeah and I think you know everybody in sport is different and social media for me has brought one of my most memorable moments from being an England cricketer off the field so a dad followed me on Twitter or Instagram and their girls followed my so-called story through their father's social media and I was running the drinks um down in Taunton obviously I was running the drink and um these two kids ran up to me and gave me a massive hug because they 
they wanted to meet me and they, they sent a note up to the dressing room saying, look, we're, I can't, I can't remember their names, so I'm really sorry, but we're Hannah and Jane and we'd love to meet you. So I took them both a hat down and signed it and went to meet them. And these two young kids, like they were so sweet, bless them. They were shaking, they were so nervous. And I just gave them both a massive hug. And for me, that's why I play. And that's why I'm out there on social media. And that's why I want to be accessible because like that moment is, is something that I never dreamed of because that for me is what like famous, like David Beckham gets that. Like, why are these people following me? Like, it's so sweet. And I think it's amazing. And, and I hope to God that they play cricket in the future because it would just be an amazing story. Again, thinking back to obviously social media and inspiring young girls, is there any careers that you would consider because of your profiles? So a lot of people ask me if I want to be a cricket coach and I don't think I've got the patience. Um, I often watch, I'd have to be a spin bowling coach because obviously I'm not going to be a batting coach, but I watch people bowling left arm spin or young kids and I, I can't get my words out and I'm, I'm always saying just do this or just do it like this. But because I was naturally talented and, and could do it myself and I'm not the most, most articulate, it's really hard for me to get myself across and for people to understand. So don't think coach is the route I'd go down but you never know you might see me coaching a hundred team in 10 years time and you'll be saying well you lied and then on that hundred as well so what do you think the new format is going to bring for 2021 when hopefully we won't have covid issues and we'll be getting fans in stadiums and this new format on the go yeah I don't think it was necessarily something that was needed in English cricket but now we've got it we've got to roll with it and we're we're going to get the best players in the world playing in this competition. So it's going to be like the Big Bash. It's going to be like the IPL. When you have the best cricketers in the world coming over, then it's always going to be a good competition. It's always going to be a, a good spectacle. And that's why the ECB cancelled it last year because we couldn't have overseas. So what's the point of having this brand new extravagant tournament if the best players can't play in it? So I think it's going to be fantastic. It's going to be different. It's going to be hard to get used to. Um, but at the end of the day, I've played a trial game and it, it's, it's a game of cricket. It's the same. What was it like receiving a full central contract? It was, honestly, I wasn't expecting it. We had just come back from the West Indies and I'd done really well. But it, it was one of those that everyone was hyping it up, being like, you've just got a world record. I was like, what do you mean? They're like, you've just taken the most amount of wickets ever in a in a series. Um, I don't know if anyone's ever done it since. They probably have. Eccleston's probably done it, let's be honest. Um, and we were at home for seven days before we went out to Sri Lanka. And Robbo pulled me to the side. He's like, we're going to give you a full-time contract. And I was like, oh my God, like my dream has come true. And I rang my parents in tears. They're like, what's wrong? And I was like, I've got a contract. Um, and it was amazing. Honestly, it was just everything I ever wanted. Um, and all those years and all the highs and the lows were, were finally worth it. And what's your favourite tour story that you can share? Gosh, my favourite tour story um gosh there's been so many hate questions like this because I actually have to think about it (laughs) favorite tour story oh right yeah okay my first cricket tour to the West Indies um it's not nothing to do with me but it's my favorite tour story so I'm making not my debut but my first game playing abroad and my mum and dad are lucky enough to come out so they're there um but mum and dad's rule is when we start playing they have to have a beer because they get nervous, so they have to have a beer. We started at half past 10 in the morning, so they had a beer at half past 10 in the morning. Mark Robinson went over to my parents and said, are you okay? 
are you nervous? How do you feel? So he went to find them in the crowd because, you know, he wanted to make sure they were, they were all right. And they're like, yeah, 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 we're good. We're in the West Indies. We've got a can of red stripe. And my mum said, all that's missing is a spliff. And Romo came back to the dressing room and was like, your parents are something else. And I was like, she didn't, she did not say that. Like, this is my England career. And that is what she said. So that's one of my favourite tour stories. The second one, we're in India playing a tri-series, India, Australia, England, just after the Sandpaper Gate. And my mum gets into a lift with me and so does Matthew Mott. And my mum said, did you win today because you were sandpaper in that cricket ball? Honestly, my mum is banned. If I ever make it to England again, she, she's banned. <laughs> Honestly, she's one of a kind, but I want to grow up and be like my mum. <laughs> That's the sort of story you're after. <laughs> I'm literally like speechless. Have you got any more? Like, Tell us some more about your mum, honestly. She told the England captain, Heather Knight, that Test Cricket was boring and crap and she didn't like it. And I was like, mum, this is my dream. Like, I now want to play Test Cricket. And she's like, Al, we're leaving because we're in Sydney and you're not playing, you're running the drinks. And quite frankly, we don't like cricket, so we're leaving. And I was like, all right, I'll see you this evening for tea. <laughs> I think we might have to get your mum on the podcast. <laughs> she's coming on ours next week because I think she's going to be a belter. <laughs> Yeah, so my cricketing, my best cricketing stories aren't actually me, they're my mother, but um, bless her, I wouldn't change her for the world, she's a belter. With your podcast as well, you've been able to get people like Sophie Eccleston on, and I know you've mentioned in the past, but it gives that player an opportunity to sit back and ease into an interview, completely unscripted, unfazed by perhaps that external kind of media pressures. So who are you going to be getting on the podcast next, if you can reveal anything? And what does make it so special having that player to player content? I think we're lucky um, because we've got contacts and we, you know, we're quite lucky of whoever Crossy is playing. She can get whoever she wants on the podcast. Just ask them to come along. Who have we got coming up? Um, my mum, <laughs> which you'll have all have heard by now. Um, we're we're going to try and get a couple of the Indians on um, when they come over. I think it's really important to be in the same room as them when we have them on because the broken English can be quite hard to understand and, and it took me eight hours to edit Shikha Pandey's episode, so we're not doing that again. Um, and I think while they're out in New Zealand, we'll, we'll try and get Susie Bates, Sophie Devine, um, and we'll just really take advantage of the situations that Crossy finds herself in. And when you started the podcast, did you get any help with the editing or did you guys very much have to be hands? on and do it yourself it was very much youtube and do it yourself i don't know how you guys have found it but it's incredibly hard and frustrating and you record an episode for an hour and 45 minutes but it'll take you five hours to edit and it just doesn't make sense in my head why that's a thing like it should just take an hour and a half to edit surely i get it because you've got to edit out all the awkward silences all the stumbles add the music about the voiceover so you kind of sit there and you think oh it's not going to take me that long I mean I've gotten quicker at it as the episodes have progressed but I think I was lucky in the sense that at university doing a broadcast journalism course you get taught the core skills to be able to edit audio to be able to edit video so I was slightly luckier than perhaps you guys were and then what are your hopes now in terms of your career and the best piece of advice that you can give to a young girl or, or guy listening to the podcast? I think my hopes and aspirations moving forward, I, if you'd have asked me this a year ago, I'd have said I never wanted to play cricket for England again. But would I turn down the opportunity if I got asked now? I'd have to think about it. I'd have to really think about it. But just because the last 
part of my career I was upset and sad and whatever it doesn't mean to say that England cricket is associated with that so I don't think I don't think I could turn down that opportunity and not regret it um I think you can always go back and try it and if you don't like it you don't have to do it um so I'm not saying my England career is necessarily over but that's obviously not my choice. Um, so moving forward, I want to play cricket for Lancashire for as long as I can, for as long as the body allows. Um, they reckon I've got 10 years, which is quite a long time. So we shall see. I'll be 30, 37, nearly 38. I'll whisper that one. Um, so yeah, play cricket for Lancashire as long as I can and just build my media profile. I love the media side of things. Um, and while the money in women's cricket isn't all that great, I need to work on the side. So to build that media profile and, and hopefully become the next Isha. Advice that I would give somebody um, in the cricketing world is don't lose the love and passion that you have for the game, no matter how hard things get and the tough situations that you're in. um, Remember why you started, basically, and and that's ultimately through enjoyment. Perfect. Alexandra, have you got any more questions or shall we just wrap up? I think we should move on to the last little bit where we do all the fun questions. This is really original, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so we'll just do the quick fire questions, if that's okay with you. Yeah, of course it is. Perfect. So obviously, Alexandra is an expert at this now. So if you want to take the lead. For sure. This is like my favourite part of the podcast to do, the fun questions. Nice. Favourite genre of music? I mean, come on. Um, pop? Is, that's yeah. really easy. I think it's like One Direction. <laughs> favourite musical artist or band? Ed Sheeran last tv show you binge watched oh don't i am hooked to gray's anatomy like hooked to it i only started it before christmas and i think i'm like 12 series in already oh you got another four to watch season 17 hasn't premiered in the uk yet which is really frustrating for me i want to know what happens but then instagram and facebook ruin it all for me i'm like why would you do that yeah i know that derek's dead and i've not even got to that bit on the show yet so i'm sad about that but hey yeah but when you actually watch how it dies, that it's just like, it's so anticlimactic. Don't listen, don't. He hasn't watched it yet. <laughs> I didn't give away too much. I just said it was anticlimactic. Someone told me he was in a car crash. I don't know if that's true or not, but I, don't tell me. I can neither confirm nor deny that Derek was in a car crash. Um, last book you read? Silka's Journey. Go to celebration move. I just give it the old double fist pump and probably a good old F off. Who's the worst driver in the team? Hannah Jones. Oh, God, you'll drive down the motorway and she's driving at like 40 miles an hour in the inside lane. <laughs> Hannah, have you got any questions? Favourite sledging term? Sledging term. Do you know what? Because it's been snowing, I was thinking sledging. <laughs> um favorite sledging term do you know what I'm not a sledger because I spent most of my career at fine leg and I don't think you can sledge anyone from fine leg because they just turn around and say you're crap so um I did once tell Alyssa Healy she was the second best keeper in the world and she got out the ball after so I'm claiming that one that's a bit like the Joe Root one to Dinesh Chandamal in the Sri Lanka series where he's like go on Chandy you're gonna give you a wicket away and then he gets out like the next ball favorite reality tv show um too hot to handle Oh, really? I thought you would have said Made in Chelsea, to be honest. I used to watch it, but I've not watched it for years, so too hot to handle. Was that before or after you were an extra on the show? <laughs> thought I might get away with that. That I stopped watching it um, af- 
just after. Favourite ground to play at? Old Trafford, obviously. Favourite place you've been to? Tour-wise? Yeah. India. Favourite umpire? Sue Redfern, come on. And if she doesn't give me any LBWs this year, I will be annoyed. You've done such a good service for her, you know. You've boosted her profile, you've given her lots of compliments, even given her offers that I guess most people wouldn't refuse. But yeah, no, favourite umpire is definitely Sue, but not because we like to take the take the mick, but she's genuinely just such a lovely woman. You know, she she's done a lot for the game and, and she's worked really hard at her umpire and she loves a bit of banter and yeah, she is she's a belter. But genuinely she was so keen to like get onto your podcast and stuff before. She was like genuinely like I wish they'd asked me sooner and was like she was an avid listener, like she listened week in, week out. She was telling us all about it and I was Oh, bless her. I feel guilty that we didn't get her on sooner. <laughs> I think the thing that I love about Sue the most is the fact that she she'll make a conscious effort each day to tweet, oh, it's it's World Hot Chocolate Day or it's this day or that. If you weren't a cricketer, then what would you be? I often get asked this and I'm really not sure. The easiest answer now is to say TV pundit, but that's only come about because of cricket. Um, I once asked my dad what I would be if I didn't play cricket and he said stay at home mum. So that was nice. Quite lucky my dad, if I asked him that, he didn't say, oh, be an accountant, which is always nice because there's always that stereotype with Asian parents that they're always really pushy but my parents were like yeah just do what you want to do because there's no point forcing the issue. Crossy's just started doing a master's and she said it's, it's been quite good because it's actually something to do. Yeah because is she doing the directorship master's? It's as she likes to call it yeah. <laughs> Yeah, she's doing that one. Um, honestly, I couldn't be asked going to uni. I didn't. School's not for me. But yeah, she's done that and she's really enjoying it. Other than Crossy, who's your best mate in the team? Eccleston. Which surprises people because she did take my job, but she is one of the kindest humans in that England team. Um, and if we're going Lancashire team, it's uh, Ellie Frelka and Georgie Boyce. Anna, have you got any more questions? No, I'm just very conscious of the spag bowl that needs to be made and eaten. I if think- I was organised, I'd have made it earlier, but that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we let? Alex escape yeah. before she does label us weirdos, psychopaths, and the rest of it. Well, thank you. It's the best time of the day because Crossy's just woken up as well. So, <laughs> well, I hope you get to catch up, and I hope you're not missing her too much. Thank you very much for having me on. Honestly, it's been a pleasure. It's, that time has flown by as well. Well, um, thank you so much. Just no. quickly, where can our listeners who obviously aren't following you, I mean, who wouldn't be following you? Where can they find you on the gram and on Twitter? Alex Hartley 93 on everything. Or Nobles TCP on Twitter. Thank you very much. Perfect. Well, go and enjoy your spag bowl and thank you again. Absolute pleasure. Super grateful for you starring. And I think this will probably be one of the best episodes yet. Purely oh. on it. Oh, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> All right. Cheers, girls. Thank you very much. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Massive thank you to Alex Hartley for coming on and being a guest on the podcast and for being so honest and open. And to all our listeners, if you want to keep up to date with everything we're doing, you can follow us on Twitter at WCricketChat and on Instagram at Women's Cricket Chat. And if you want to give us a like on Facebook, we are Women's Cricket Chat. And if you wanted to give our personal Twitters a follow, Hannah is at HannahT1194 and I'm at Alex Jane Pereira. This has been Women's Cricket Chat. Tune in next time. Bye.